I don't know uh, how you feel about Christmas time. I don't know whether you're excited or whether you're not excited. Let's be honest, the trees have been up since April. As soon as Easter is over, the Christmas trees are up. Finally, Westfield is catching up. If you go into any Westfield shopping centre, the Santa army is back out of migration. They're starting to form. The nativity scenes are starting to come up. And regardless of whether you like Christmas or whether you hate Christmas or whether you're like, eh, I don't really care about Christmas, one thing is certain, that until December 26th rolls around, every shopping centre that you and I set foot in will play this song. The most wonderful time of the you know the lyrics. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Which, which kind of begs the question, right? Is it really the most wonderful time of the year? Is it, is it really really the most wonderful time of the year. Now, I don't know you, and you, might, you probably don't know me, but I, I genuinely, there are usually two groups of people when you ask this question. There, there are the group of people that I like to call the Christmas lovers. You hear that song, and you're, you haven't even taken your tree down from last year. Like, it is still up in your house, it's still up in your bedroom. You have like a go box ready to go in your, in your, uh, in your uh, whether, whether you have it uh, in your closet, that's what I'm thinking of, a cupboard, a wardrobe, and you have that box ready to go. So as soon as when someone says, it's Christmas time, you're ready. The tree's up in like less than 20 minutes. You're timing yourself to see where the tinsel's going. It's all set up perfectly. Maybe you're one of those people who you started putting the lights up in like August on the front of your house. You're going in the 4KQ Christmas Lights Award. Christmas is your jam. Maybe for some of you, you're a Christmas lover. You're already imagining Christmas lunch. And you're already feeling the meat sweats that are going to hit you like 25 minutes in. And then the nap that's going to come, the like three-hour nap that happens afterwards. Also, you can get up and kick on at like six o'clock that afternoon and get into more of the food, have more of the meat sweats again. For you, you're a Christmas lover because you, you just love hanging out with friends. You love hanging out with family. You love getting presents. You love giving presents. It's just the most wonderful time of the year for you. But then, then I'm also so aware that there, there are some people... And people might label you a Grinch. But, but I, know that, I know that you're not really a Grinch. And you know that you're not really a Grinch. Pessimist is too strong of a word. You're a realist. And you would fall into the category of what I call the Christmas not-so-lovers. You're a realist about this season. Because when this season kicks off, you begin to think of, of all the medication that it's going to take you to avoid having road rage in the Westfield parking lot when you cannot find a park. When this time of the year comes around, you get stressed out because you have to buy everyone a present and your bank balance is decreasing and you don't want to stingy out on someone and you're worried that what if I don't get them a great present? What if they look at me? You know, what if they realize that maybe I'm in a bit of a financial bind? There are some of you who don't like Christmas because every year it resurfaces that same argument that you always have. Where are we spending Christmas at? Is it, at, is it at mums? Is it at dads? Is it, is it at my parents? Is it at your parents? Uh, who, who's, uh, whose uh, place are we spending at? It, it generates that same argument. And you're kind of hoping that you can put off dealing with that for as long as possible. Maybe for some of you, you know, the fact that we're, we're launching a series called Surviving Christmas, you were almost tempted not to come tonight. In fact, some of you are maybe listening online because you didn't want to be here tonight. 
Because for you, you're trying to avoid the whole idea of Christmas for as long as possible. Because all it does for you is bring up maybe the people who aren't around the table this year. The people who you wish could be here, but for whatever reason, they're not around the table. And so for you, Christmas is really about survival. You just want to grit your teeth and you want to get through. Now, the good news for us with this series is regardless of whatever camp you fall into, this series is for you. If you are a Christmas lover, this series is for you. Because there is nothing more annoying than someone who loves Christmas trying to convince someone who doesn't love Christmas to love Christmas, right? You may have found this and you're just like so excited about Christmas and you can't understand why no one else is excited as as about Christmas as you are. And so this series is for you because we want people to love Christmas like you love Christmas. And over the course of this series, we're going to be talking about a number of things so that when you encounter or when you get pushback or when you identify people who who don't really love Christmas, you can help them to love Christmas the way that you love Christmas. And for those of you who who maybe uh, would classify yourself as a Christmas not-so-lover, this series is for you because we really want Christmas to be a wonderful time of the year for you. And the truth is, The reason that Christmas is often a not-so-wonderful time of the year is is not because of anything special that happens around Christmas. It's because that Christmas surfaces within us tensions and issues that we put on the back burner for the rest of the year. And so Christmas just forces us to deal with it it, because it forces us to deal with our family. It forces us to be in a room with people we might not normally be in a room with. It forces us to confront the fact that everyone is just so overly happy and maybe you're just not at this time of the year. So if this, if you, you maybe would consider yourself a Christmas not-so-lover, we're going to be talking throughout this series about how you can make Christmas not just a season that you survive through, but a season that you actually thrive in and that you would think Christmas is a wonderful time of the year as well. And to launch us into uh, to this discussion tonight, we're going to be talking about one thing that has the potential to destroy Christmas. In fact, not just destroy Christmas, but this, this thing that we're going to be talking about tonight has the potential to destroy families, to destroy friendships, to destroy relationships. It has the potential to destroy your career. It has the potential to, to destroy your hopes, your aspirations, your character. And what we're going to be, the, the reason that this is such a, a difficult topic to talk about is because you don't think you have a problem with it. In a minute when I tell you what it is, you're, you're going to go, oh, that's not me, that's not me, that's someone else. The reason that this is such a, such a touchy topic is because you're going to think, when, we, when I tell you what we're talking about, you're going to think of a name and you're going to think of a face, but it's not going to be your name. And it's not going to be your face that jumps to mind. You're going to think, that's my boyfriend's problem, that's my girlfriend's problem, that's my mom, that's my dad's problem, that's my sister's problem, that's my work colleague's problem, it's my uni friend's problem, but it's not my problem. And so before we go in, before I tell you what it is, I just want to make this crystal clear. For the next 20 minutes that we're talking about this, I want you to imagine that it is your problem. Because it is an everyone problem. When you leave this place, you can, sure, you can send it to your friend, you can give it to that person that you really think it's their problem, but just for the next 20 minutes, I want you to imagine that it is your issue, because this is an issue we all struggle with, and the issue is this, gossip. 
See? Chances are you're like, oh, that's not me. I thought it was something really, really serious. I thought we were going to be having like some really deep conversation. Like, gossip, that's not me. Right? Because because chances are when you gossip, you don't gossip. You vent. When, when, when gossip comes up, you don't gossip. You, you just get it off your chest. When, when it comes to gossip, that, that's not about you. And in fact, Christians, Christians, we are so bad at gossip. If you've never been to church or maybe you've never been in a small group or a Bible study, Christians love to cover up their gossip in prayer requests. They do this all the time. Trust me, if you've never, if you've never heard it, this, like, Christians are like, oh, is there anything we should pray for? Oh, yeah, you should pray for, pray for Billy and Jenny. Oh, why? Well, I, should, I probably shouldn't tell you, but we need to pray about it. So, so Jenny caught Billy swiping right on Tinder, and now their relationship is just in a shambles. And Christians cover gossip up in their, in their prayer requests. This is, this is an everyone issue, regardless of how you want to label it. Maybe you label it, well, it's not gossip if it's true. It's still gossip, regardless of whether it's true or not. And to kind of give us a handle... To, to, so we're all on a common ground, because gossip can be such, such a kind of out there thing. I wanted to define it tonight. I wanted to take an opportunity to define gossip, and this is what I've defined gossip as. Discussing a negative with anyone who can't solve the problem. Having a conversation, whether that's one-on-one or whether that's in a group, with anyone who cannot solve the problem. If you've got an issue with someone, with someone in your workplace and you're venting about it to the receptionist. If she can't solve the problem, that's gossip. If you've got an issue that's going on in your family and you're talking about it with someone else and they can't solve the problem, that's gossip. If you've got an issue at uni or at school and you're, you're talking about it or you're posting about it on social media, that's the worst. No one on social media is going to help you with that problem unless you talk to the person who can help you solve the problem. But chances are this, isn't, this is not a revolutionary kind of definition, right? As soon as I put that up there, you're like, oh no, I can, I can kind of, we're all on this, I can, I can feel that. The question is a little bit deeper, and the question I want to get at is, is why do we gossip? Why is it that when someone walks up to you and, and says, hey, did you hear about? There's just something inside of us that's like, well, I didn't, but I want to. I, I kind of feel like I need to know now. Why do we gossip? I mean, apart from the fact that it's fun, right? Like, it's, it's kind of fun to, like, know something that's, that you feel like no one else knows. But what's below the surface? Well, psychologists who study, the, the, there's a, there is a whole field of psychology that's devoted to the human study of gossip, the human behavior of gossip. And, and psychologists who study in this field actually say that what gossip is at its core is an attempt to connect. They say it's not actually a way of connecting, it's actually an attempt to hotwire connection between two individuals. When two individuals don't know each other, instead of, instead of having that kind of awkward conversation, instead of getting to know each other, instead of getting to say, hey, what are your views? What are your values? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? Instead of forming a connection around shared experiences, shared moments in time, it is so much easier for us to hotwire a connection and say, hey, did you hear about such and such? And all of a sudden, it gives us that feeling that, oh, we're connected. Oh, we know something that the rest of the world doesn't know. This group of people knows something that no one else knows. But, but you know, and I know, that when you gossip or you contribute to gossip, 
it's ultimately you that loses. Because at the end of the day, the reason that psychologists say that it's, it's an attempt to connect is simply because any time you've been in a conversation where gossip's present, or someone has singled you out to gossip to, there's that little voice in the back of your mind that says, I wonder if they talk about me behind my back as well. I wonder what they say about me when I'm not in the room. And when you gossip to other people, they're thinking the exact same thing. And ultimately, although it's an attempt to connect, it hotwires connection and straight away, trust is broken. And you know that you can't have a deep relationship with anyone if there is no trust. So the good news for us is that we don't have to stay in this trap of gossip. We don't have to continue to, to gossip. There is a way out. And the way out is found in a letter that a church planter called Paul wrote to a, a church community that he started in a city called Ephesus. And if you don't know anything about Ephesus, let me, let me bring you up to speed, and let me bring you up to speed about Paul. You see, Paul actually was a, a Christian killer and a Christian hater. In fact, Paul was on his way to a city one day where he was going to kill a whole heap of Christians, and, and he had an encounter that transformed the trajectory of his life. And Paul, in the blink of an eye, went from a Christian killer to a Christian. And Paul started planting all these churches around the Mediterranean Rim. And Ephesus is a city in modern-day Turkey. And when Paul planted a church in Ephesus, it was anything but a kind of a nice place. In fact, it was, really, it was known as the home of the, the pagan god Artemis. Now, Artemis uh, is a female god, in case you're kind of like getting a bit confused with the, with the name. It kind of sounds a little bit masculine, but it, it, Artemis is a female god. And Artemis is a female god that is actually the god of fertility. And in a lot of uh, pagan rituals, sex was a part of the worship service. In fact, at the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, they employed temple prostitutes. That's how much sex was a part of, this, of the temple of Artemis. And so Paul walks into this culture, into this city, and plants a church. And people began to turn away from following Artemis and began to follow Jesus. Now, Paul kind of left and, and rumors started to get back to Paul. Word started to get back to Paul that, hey, Paul, I think some people are a little bit confused about what following Jesus looks like and about what it means. Because in pagan cultures, in pagan religions, you could worship three or four or five or however many gods you wanted to. And so there was a group of these people who, who left the temple of Artemis to begin to follow Jesus that just didn't see an issue with going back to the temple of Artemis. So all of a sudden you had some Christians who were like, I'm going to go to church with my Jesus people in the morning and then I'm going to go to church with my Artemis people in the afternoon. And so Paul writes a letter to address this. And in one part of his letter, Paul addresses the, you know, the Christians who are going back to, to Artemis and he explains, you know, Jesus, we worship one God, we only, we only believe that there's one God that exists. But then he addresses part of that letter to the Christians who are gossiping about the Christians that are going back to the temple of Artemis. And Paul addresses their gossip directly. And he says this, he says, watch the way you talk. In other words, pay attention to it. Don't just think about what you're saying, but pay attention to it. Over a period of time, I want you to watch what you're talking about. 
I want, to watch, I want you to watch the way you're talking about it. I want you to observe who you're talking about and why you're talking about it. And then he says something next that, that gets often so, so misunderstood. And I want, to, I want to read it to you first and then I want to explain what Paul means. He goes on, he says, Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. And for so many of us, when we read that, what we think to ourselves is, Oh, I just can't swear. I'm good, I can gossip, I just can't swear. You know, and, and the Greek word, because Paul wrote this in Greek, not in English. So Paul wrote this letter in Greek, and the Greek word that would have been inserted for foul or dirty is this word, sapros. And what it means is rotten. Don't let anything rotten come out of your mouth. And, and maybe for some of you, you're like, okay, so... What, is, what classifies as rotten, Paul? Because like, if you give us free reign with gossip, right, we know that we can kind of angle it our way and change it our way and, and make it, kind of massage it so that it's ultimately not gossip. And so Paul knows that we could do the same thing with this. You know, if we say it's rotten, well, well, we'll just figure out a way around it. And in what Paul says next, he clarifies and he kind of defines a little bit what rotten is. And he says this, he says, say only what helps. Each word, a gift. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, particularly when it comes to Christmas, but you can get good gifts and you can get bad gifts. And if you get a good gift, it is awesome. And if you get a good gift, Christmas can just go downhill like that. And what Paul is trying to explain to the people at Ephesus is that the words that come out of your mouth are actually a gift to people. And so when you speak to people, you actually give them a gift. And Paul says this gift can fall into really one of two categories. It can either be helpful to them, or the other, other category, Paul would say, is it can be harmful to them. It can either build them up, or it can be rotten. And Paul would say anything that is harmful to someone is what he would classify as rotten. And maybe, maybe that's still not quite clear enough. Maybe you're kind of like, ah, I, okay, so I get it, like don't say anything harmful to someone, but if I don't say it to their face, is it really like that harmful? If they never find out, is it really that harmful? So what I want to what I want to do is I want to give you a question that you can ask this week that will help you begin to think about the gift that your words are to people and help you determine whether they're helpful or whether they're harmful. And then I want to give you an application, a question followed by an application. And the question I want to give to you is simply this. Is what I'm about to say or the conversation that I'm a part of helpful or harmful? Is what I'm about to say or the conversation that I'm a part of, helpful or harmful? We kind of call it here at Beyond, we call it our four Monday. Because we believe that if you spend a little bit of time with us, if you hang out with us for, for the weekend, that, that you should leave here with something to help you, with something to help you have better relationships with during the week. So that's the question to ask. It's not a difficult question. And the application is even less difficult. If it's harmful, don't do it. If it's harmful, don't engage. 
if what you're going to say or what you're going to think is harmful, don't say it to the person. If the conversation that you're a part of is, is harmful, don't engage. Remove yourself. Because Paul would say, that is what classifies as rotten. If you do anything to someone that isn't helpful, Paul would consider that gossip. And he would say, that is the kind of conversation that is rotten and is ultimately harmful to people. And the benefit when you begin to do this, the the benefit if you begin to take this this week and start to filter your conversations through this lens and then anything that is is potentially harmful to remove is all of a sudden your relationships will start to change because all of a sudden you become more trustworthy. When you only say helpful things, you all of a sudden become more trustworthy. People begin to identify, hey, that person leaves the conversation when we start gossiping. Any time that we're out and it's one-on-one and I, and I say something to them and I start to gossip and they, they shut it down right away, that person is more trustworthy. It's you that benefits because all of a sudden your relationships are for, begin to be formed on things that you can connect around, values you share in common, experiences that you have in common. No longer are you hot-wiring connection in an attempt to gain intimacy. All of a sudden, you're actually establishing intimacy. You're establishing deep connections built on trust. And ultimately, when you cut gossip out of your life, when you cut those harmful things out of your life, people actually want to be around you. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when people begin to gossip, one of two things happens. Either... People find out about it really quickly and then they stop engaging with that person. They stop sharing with that person and that person begins to move to the edge of that group. And either they figure it out or what they tend to do is they get a group of people and now there's a group of people that are like gossips. You see this at high school a lot, but you see it in workplaces, you see it at universities, you see it everywhere. Now they have a group of people that love to gossip and all of a sudden, people start to switch on. And people start to realize, if I tell one person in that group, everyone in that group knows. And then everyone around me knows. And when you begin to to apply this this week, and you begin to reject the harmful things, all of a sudden, people want to be around you. Because people can trust you. Now, Everything I've said up until this point is, is great if you are not a follower of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you can apply this to your life. In fact, I think this will add value to you. If, if, you, if you apply this to your life, I think your relationships will just go through the roof. I think you're, you will have such better connections with people. You don't have to apply it, but I think it's a benefit if you do. But if you are a follower of Jesus, as we wrap tonight's message up, I just want to take just a second to talk directly to you. Because if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus in this room, this is, this is kind of non-negotiable. Paul doesn't write this in a way that's like, oh, if you kind of want to, you can choose to if you'd like to. In fact, I want to take you back, I'll take us back to what Paul says. Paul says, say only what helps. Each word a gift. In other words, Paul says that when it comes to being a Christian... When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, this is not even an option on the table. 
Harmful is not even an option. If you, if, if you think it might be harmful, if you do not think it's going to be helpful, this is not an option on the table. Paul says you should be a gift to people. And you cannot be a gift to the people around you and the community around you if everything you're saying is harmful. And then he raises vice to say only, only those things that are helpful. And the reason, the reason I say this and the reason I feel the, that we need to kind of, I just needed to say just specifically to Christians is because the church has so many barriers already. We do not need to add gossip as a barrier for the reason that people choose not to engage with Jesus. Because what can destroy a community is gossip. And what destroys local churches is gossip. But what would it look like? What would it look like if every single follower of Jesus in this room, not for the next seven days, but for the rest of their life, said, you know what? I know Paul calls us to a high standard. But for the rest of my life, I am only going to say what is helpful. Could you imagine how that would change your interactions with your friends, with your family, with those people you're at uni with, with those people you're in the job space with? Could you imagine how this would change the way people look at followers of Jesus? If you are out in the community, wouldn't you think that people would begin to lean in if every single encounter they had with a follower of Jesus, the second something gossipy was brought up or the second something harmful was brought up, every single follower of Jesus disengaged and said, hey, I love you, but I'm not going to go there. Hey, that's great, but that's a problem that I can't solve, so I'm not sure why you're telling me. I hope you can solve that, but you need to go and talk to someone who could actually solve it. Could you imagine what that would look like to people who are on the outside looking in? Imagine you had a friend and they just walk up to the edge of a community of followers of Jesus and peer in. From the outside looking in, a gossip-free community says more about the love of God than your words ever could. If someone is from the outside looking in and they see a gossip-free zone, they begin to lean in because they say, hey, wow, the love that they talk about and the fact that Jesus, they always say that Jesus is for people. Jesus must really be for people because that community is for people. That community refuses to engage in anything that's harmful. That community refuses to spread rumors behind their back. So many people spread rumors about them, but they refuse to spread harmful words and they refuse to gossip about anyone else. Could you imagine what would happen if the world looked like this? The good news is it can. The good news is that if you decide to reject saying what is harmful and disengage from every harmful conversation, the gift you give this Christmas is a gossip-free community and you remove barriers from people meeting and experiencing the love of Jesus. So what's holding us back? Nothing. So this week, let's begin to be gossip-free in our lives and point people to Jesus. I'd love to pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that are recorded um, in the book of Ephesians. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that Paul wrote these words 
and that we can, we can go back and we can reflect and we can see that, that in a community that actually had something to gossip about, Paul calls them not to gossip. In a community that had every reason to talk about what another group of Christians were doing, Paul calls them to a higher standard. And Lord, I pray tonight that we as a community, that we as followers of Jesus, would begin to take this simple but so overlooked step and begin to say only what is helpful. Lord, that people would begin to lean in because of the way they see us interacting, that they would begin to be curious about this Jesus that we talk about. So Lord, this Christmas, help us to remove one more obstacle that can be such a challenge to surviving Christmas. Help us to remove the barrier of gossip from our own lives and from our own relationships and help us to survive Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to uh, invite you all to stand. I'm going to hand back over to Wes and the band.